Hi, everyone, and welcome to One Question with Pastor Adam. And I'm Adam, and I am pastor to believers and doubters, to unfaithful Christians and to faithful atheists. And friends, Jesus was not afraid of questions, and neither are we. So each week on this podcast on Thursdays at 2 o'clock Central, 12 o'clock Pacific, we're going to be exploring one question that you have sent me over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now I'm on TikTok. So if you're on TikTok, come uh, check me out. Whoa, TikTok. That is, that place is... Let me try that again. Yes, yeah, sometimes I would get whistle and sometimes I can't. TikTok is is a wild place. So anyway, if you want some wildness, go uh, check us out on TikTok. And um, so I, I said uh, we do this every week, but actually I'm taking the next two weeks off of one question with Pastor Adam because it's Christmas. And so we're going to come back in the new year in 2021 uh, better than ever. And are you looking forward to 2021? I am. 2020 cannot end soon enough. So let's get this year over with and let's head into mid mid to late January. Can we get there quickly? That would be awesome. So, um, hey Satchel, can we put my question about Bible versus inclusive signs on the list? Yes, yes, we can put up the Bible and inclusive signs on the list. How about how about we start off next year with that question? Uh, we'll do that uh, in the beginning of the new year. Um, that sounds like a good idea. We'll do that. But today, since Christmas is coming up, we're going to talk about Christmas and incarnation because Christmas is all about celebrating the birth of the baby Jesus. And the baby Jesus is so cute, isn't he? All babies are cute. So the baby Jesus must have been cute. Actually, some babies look like grumpy old men. Not that any of my children look like grumpy old men, but I've heard. So, um, but I'm sure the baby Jesus was just adorable. <laughs> but Christmas brings up this question about the incarnation, this idea that goes back very early in Christian history of what the ancient theologians called the hypostatic union. And what does that mean? It means that the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity dwelled together in this person, Jesus. And why should anyone living 2,000 years later care about the incarnation? Why should anybody care about Jesus? I'm going to try to answer that question uh, for you today. And how am I going to do this? I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to talk about the uh, the particular and the universal when it comes to this idea of the incarnation. Because the early Christians looked back on Jesus and they came up with this idea of the hypostatic union, that, the, that as I said, the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity came to dwell in this one person, Jesus. Uh, and why does this matter? Uh, one of the ancient theologians was a man named Athanasius, and Athanasius came up with this uh, formula, uh, and actually a theologian before him did, so all you theolog theology nerds, uh, I know this is Irenaeus and Athanasius, whatever, names, cool, whatever, 
They said this about Jesus. God became human, that humans might become God. Now, they didn't mean that we might literally become this all-powerful deity, God-type thing. But they said, God became human in this person, Jesus, so that we might all participate in the divine life, so that we all might get caught up in being like God. And so that is what Jesus, the hypostatic union, this incarnation is all about. It's not primarily just about Jesus becoming one with God. It's about all of us becoming one with God. That's where you see the particular and the universal of this Christian story coming together. Because you and I get to participate in this too. And really, this gets me excited, really, the particularity of this is also rooted in, in Judaism. But before I get to Judaism, I want to make this one last point about what they said the mission of Jesus was and why the incarnation was important. You see, they said that Jesus, God became human in Jesus so that we might become like God. And, and here's, here's the important part that is going to get to Satchel's question, actually. Um, the early Christians did not say God became one with a book that we call a Bible so that we might become more godlike. They, they emphasized not the Bible, they emphasized this person, Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we see this too. And it, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you've seen me, in other words, if you've seen Jesus, you know what God is like. Jesus, throughout his life, says, follow me. And Satchel's question from, from yesterday was, was this. How can you have such great progressive signs that are about love and inclusion when you've got the Bible? Well, here's the point about the incarnation. The incarnation, the Christian fundamental principle, is not that God became a book. It's that God became a human in this person, Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, look to me. Don't look to a specific book in the Bible. Don't even look to the Bible per se, because the Bible's point is not for the sake of the Bible. The Bible's point is to point beyond itself to this person, Jesus, who shows us who God fundamentally is. That's what the incarnation is about. God was not incarnated in a book. As the beginning of John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. It doesn't say the word became a book. Now, before you think that I'm totally trashing the Bible, I'm not. Why? Because this particular story, I love the Bible, it's fantastic. This particular story of the incarnation of Jesus is seen throughout the Bible. Let me, let me show you this, okay? Moses is 
taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And he takes the sheep out into this mountain. And he comes across this bush that is burning alive with the presence of God. God is incarnated in this bush. And Moses stops and see it, and he hears the divine name. And God says, I am Yahweh, burning alive within this bush, but the bush is not consumed. Just like thousands of years later, God would be burning alive in this person, Jesus, but his humanity is not being consumed. It's there, they coexist. So Moses meets this bush, and Moses, and Moses hears the bush say, Moses, I've got a mission for you. You're going to go back to Egypt because my people, the Hebrew people, my people are oppressed. And here is the one of the big shifts that the Bible gives us, why the Bible is so important, is because in the Bible, in this story where God is incarnated in this bush, Moses, and we all get to discover that God is the one who sides with the oppressed, the victims of human culture. Jesus is incarnated in this particular person, that God is incarnated in this particular person, this Jesus person, at a particular time in world history to a particular people called the Jewish people. This is the God that Jesus and his people during the time are oppressed by the Roman Empire. And where does God go? Just like God went to Moses in the burning bush to set the people free from Egyptian slavery, God comes in the exact same way to us through this person, Jesus to save us, not from an Egyptian empire or a Roman empire, but to save us from ourselves. And this is going to sound really weird, and I'm going to get to it this way, because remember what the early Christians said. They said, Jesus is the, the point of the incarnation was to bring us into the divine life. What does that divine life look like? It fundamentally looks like Jesus, the one who comes into this world not to imitate the violence of the Roman Empire or of any other empire, but to subvert all of that violence, to show us that God is not involved in that violence at all. But God is here reflected in this person, Jesus, as radical, nonviolent love. That's what God is like. Now, uh, some people will say, well, Jesus goes into the temple and creates a whip and cracks people and isn't that violent. Jesus never kills anyone. He confronts injustice in the world, yes. And sometimes that looks like a like cracking a whip against unjust systems that oppress people. That's what the temple had become. And economic oppression, political and religious oppression, all in one place in what's supposed to be God's house for all people. And Jesus sees that it's not for all people. It's for those 
who can't afford it and who have political power. And then Jesus takes the whip and cracks it and gets people out because he's trying to subvert that violent system. But notice what the early Christians, when they're talking about the incarnation, notice what they do not say. They do not say that, Jesus, that God became flesh in Jesus in order to die. That's not it. There's, there's this strand within Christianity that thinks that Jesus only came here to die on the cross. That is such a low, small view of what Jesus came to do. That is such a low, small view of what the incarnation is all about. It's like it's a wet blanket, really just to die for those who believe in him? No, it's so much bigger and so much more cosmic than that. The incarnation is, is cosmic. It's particular in this, in this person, Jesus, who has a particular religion, and it goes all the way back to a particular couple named Abraham and Sarah. This is also sad why your question is so important, because Abraham and Sarah, at the very beginning of this project that we call the Bible and the Jewish people set forward, Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to them and says, I have blessed you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. This includes black families and brown families. It includes gay families, lesbian families, transgender families. It includes poor families. It includes all the families, even those who are not like us, who might believe in God differently than us, and hey, who might not even believe in God at all. The project of the Bible at the very beginning is that we would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. No exceptions. Now, the rest of the Bible shows how we mess that up, how we don't get it right, and how it sometimes, a lot of times, we project our own curses, our own violence onto God. And so we might do this in other ways, too. We might say, well, the way to peace is by defeating our enemies, is by being a curse to some families of the earth. Do you see? This gets, this is a strand that gets inside of the Bible. Why? Because the Bible tells the truth about being human. I see my truth in there too. Sometimes, just like you see this strand in the Bible, sometimes I curse my enemies. I get caught up in that. Maybe we all do. But this is, this is the truth of the Bible. Sometimes I think, you know what, the way to peace is, well, I got to defeat my enemies. And maybe I'll do that in the name of God, or maybe I'll do that in the name of justice, or in the name of peace, or something like that. But the point is always brings us back to the call of Abraham and Sarah to be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. Jesus as the one who is incarnated love, incarnated God in the world, lives this out when he says that the 
that the fundamental, that all of the commandments come down to these two, to love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And who is your neighbor? All the families of the earth. Jesus makes no distinctions, just like God makes no distinctions to Abraham and Sarah at the beginning of this project. Jesus makes no distinctions about our neighbors. You can go through the list, gay, lesbian, straight, transgender, bisexual neighbors, black, brown, white, Asian, rich, poor, all your neighbors. But hey, here's the, here's the point. Remember, God comes to Moses in the burning bush, another act of incarnation, and says, I am particularly with those who are marginalized. I have a particular preferential for those who are oppressed. Why? Because honest people like me, I'm, I'm a white male, a heterosexual, middle, upper middle class man. Uh, I'm doing fine. And I constantly need to remind myself that as a white male living in 21st century United States that my story is not the universal story. Not everyone has had my experience. And I can get blinded, right, to the suffering of others. This is why in the United States, we need to continue saying things like Black Lives Matter because white supremacy runs through my veins. It is not just those people over there who are overtly racist that we can blame for white supremacy and racism in the United States. It's people, it's me. I have to own this too. And that is also what the incarnation is about. Why? Because Jesus, God became human. God became flesh in a particular person who was oppressed by the Roman Empire. Jesus was a brown man living in the Roman Empire where the religious and political elite united together to hang this man on a tree. God made flesh becomes vulnerable in this person, Jesus this particular person hangs on a tree. Read James Cone for this. James Cone, The Cross in the Lynching and the Lynching Tree. Go pick up that book in the year 2021 or before, and you will see the, the particularity of Jesus as a Jewish, as a brown Jewish man hanging on the tree. And once you see this, you cannot help but see that Throughout American history, when we have hung Black people on the tree, we have hung God incarnated in our Black siblings on those trees. And we have seen in the last week, in the last few years, Black people hanging on trees. We the story has been told that they've committed suicide, but that is, that is doubtful. This, we live, we continue to live in a culture where God 
is being killed hanging on trees, where God is being sacrificed to the gods of white supremacy as our Black siblings continue to get arrested by police at three times the rate as white, as our white siblings. As our Black siblings continue to deal with racism, God is incarnated not just in Jesus, but in flesh that is oppressed. This is why you see in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, if you want to see me in the world, look to those who are in prison. Look to those who are suffering economically. When you fed those who are hungry and clothed those who are without clothing, when you sheltered those without shelter, when you visited those who are in prison, you did that to me. Why? Because the incarnation, this is where Christianity gets this so wrong. Many, much in Christianity gets this wrong, sorry. The incarnation is not merely about some guy named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. The incarnation is about God dwelling in flesh today, too. Jesus shows up in those who are oppressed. The particular Jesus reveals what is true going all the way back to Genesis, that every person is created in the image of God. Every person is a God bearer. And throughout the Bible, as I said earlier, we, we tend to um, mis misconceive, is that the word? Uh, misunderstand where God is in the world and how God is acting in the world. That's why the incarnation of Jesus matters, because it can sift through all of the junk theology that, that I get infected with too, that I tend to think God is with the powerful because that's what we've always been told. Well, no, in the Bible, actually, we see that God is with the oppressed, that God is with the vulnerable, that God shows up in this baby, the most vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable humans ever, a baby. That's where God shows up? No. Isn't God with the king, the most powerful? No, actually, God is here with a baby boy born to parents who mean absolutely nothing in their world. They're not kings. They're not important people. They're poor. They're poor folk. That's where God shows up in the world. You see, we always think that we've been told all of our lives that God is all-powerful, which blinds us to seeing God in the poor, in the homeless, in those who are on the margins of human history. But the Bible shows us that that's where God has always shown up. Now, I want, we've talked about the particularity of Jesus as a Jewish person, and also how this gets universalized in Matthew 25, as Jesus says, what you did to those who are oppressed, the least of these you've done to me, and how that shows up in our modern world um, with, with our Black siblings who suffer from racism and with other folk who are oppressed as well. But let's, let's take this a little bit further, too, because this incarnation uh, of Jesus can be seen as so anthropocentric that we miss the cosmic 
element of this, the creation element of this. Ultimately, this story of Jesus, of God becoming human flesh is an affirmation of Genesis chapter one. This amazing story that has, that is not about modern science. Okay, get that, get, remove that argument from, from your mind for a moment, because the ancient writers are not talking about modern science. They're talking about the fundamental reality of the universe. They're talking about God and what God is like in the world. So Genesis chapter one says that when God creates the world, after each day, God says, and it is good, and it is good. And at the sixth day, when God creates humans, God says, and it is very good. Now, why is this story important? Why am I getting excited about this? Because in the ancient world, when the Jews start writing the story, they're writing it down finally amidst the Babylonian Empire. They're, they're, they've been conquered by the Babylonians, and they start writing down the Genesis 1 story amidst hearing the Babylonian creation myth. And the Babylonian cre creation myth is really exciting and fun, and, and it would be a great horror movie if we were to put it up on the big screen today. And it goes like this. There were these gods, a, god, a mother god named Tiamat and her son named Marduk, and they had this big family uh crisis <laughs> talk about dysfunctional families marduk uh thinks that tiamat is oppressive and so what does marduk do he goes to war against his mother tiamat and he and his army defeats tiamat and her army and marduk destroys and kills tiamat and takes tiamat's body and cuts it in half and out of part of this god this god's body marduk creates the world Tiamat is seen as the evil god in this. So what does this creation story tell us? The world is fundamentally evil, and it's a place where you want to escape from. You don't want to be in this world. And so the whole point of this mythical story is to escape this world, to get to some kind of heaven out there. The Jewish creation story says something radically different, much more boring, right? God just speaks the world into existence. There's no war, there's no violence, and the world is not evil. It's good. The world is not a place so much that we want to escape from, but that we want to restore. That is the project of the Jewish scriptures, and it's the project of the incarnation. Ultimately, the incarnation reaffirms Genesis chapter 1 and says the world is so good that God is here to inhabit it. Um, just a little bit of a tangent, but super related to this. Uh, in the 19th century, 1850s to 70s, there becomes a Christian heresy <laughs> called the rapture. Have you heard of the rapture? The rapture is this idea that, oh, the world is going to come to an end, and what's going to happen? God's going to rapture up all of the good people and leave all of the bad people down on earth. And of course, the good people are the ones who believe the right 
doctrines and stuff. This is not Christianity because why? Because it says the world is fundamentally evil and it's something that we have to escape. That's not Christianity. That's Babylonian creation myth. This, this rapture ideology is a modern heresy that has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is not about escaping this world to get to some heaven way out there. The incarnation shows us that heaven and earth are here together. Not just in the person Jesus, but in people like you and me. Heaven and earth coming together. Why? Because the earth is fundamentally good. And heaven is here with us. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is among you. It's already here if we just have eyes to see it. And that is what the incarnation is about. And so I started this segment of this portion of this podcast by saying, let's see the cosmic element of this. This is not just about humans. It's also about the earth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this man named Paul writes this, that in Christ, in this incarnation, in Christ, God was reconciling the world. And the word for world here that Paul uses is not just, is not just earth, it's cosmos. This what God does in this person, Jesus, is so significant, It for Paul, he uses cosmic language. He says that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to God's self, not counting our sins against us, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. This is so subversive of so much Christian theology. Why? Because we've been told throughout our lives that Paul was wrong when he wrote that. We've been told throughout our lives that actually God works by counting our sins against us. That's exactly, that's like God's primary role, right? That's why Jesus had to die because of our sins. No, says Paul. God does not count our sins against us. God's not like Santa Claus, making a list, checking it twice, making sure who's naughty and nice. God's not into that game. God's not looking over your shoulder, making sure you haven't sinned in the last week. Why? Because God is in the reconciling business. Do we hurt one another? Do we sin? I don't want to get rid of sin language because God knows that I have hurt people in my life and people have hurt me in my life. You know, it, we have sinned against each other, but what do we do with that? We seek, we seek reconciliation. We seek some kind of repentance. And yes, we need to create boundaries between us and healthy boundaries between us and the people who have hurt us. Absolutely. But what is God's mission in this world? We see in the incarnation of Jesus, it's not primarily to count sins against one another as if we deserved God's love. It is to be ministers 
of reconciliation. Ministers of this idea that God and humans, God and the earth are not fundamentally at odds with each other, but God can incarnate in this world in a burning bush and in this person, Jesus, and in you, and maybe sometimes in me too. <laughs> so God became human in Jesus, not primarily to die on the cross. God became human in Jesus in order to get us caught up in the life of God so that we can participate in the radical love that God is. So we've got a few comments. Um, man, I just, oh, Satchel, sorry, anthropocentric means um, uh, uh, human, human-centered. So the, the story of Christianity is not merely about, primarily about humans. It is, it is about that, but it's about all of creation. All of creation, right, in the, in the scriptures, all of creation sings the glory of God. But um, with, uh, with um, um, global warming, uh, with, with all of the things that humans uh, have done uh, in the last 300 years, the creation does not sing as loudly or as clearly as it maybe used to. And so we have to take responsibility of that too for, for climate change. And uh, um, so uh, all of creation, this is not just about humans being caught up in the divine life. This is about all of creation, cosmic scale, getting caught up in the divine life. Okay, uh, boy, quite a few comments. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, uh, Raina, sorry, uh, yeah, Raina, I'll, I'll remember, I'll remember Raina, um, let's see, oh, Melanie, uh, no disrespect to Mary yet, I have trouble with the, uh, virgin birth, uh, Let's see, Melanie, maybe I can help you out with this. I, th I think it's also part of a story. I'm sorry, my daughter is here. Um, Abby, what's up? I'm, yes. Can I just have paper? Can you have paper? My daughter would like paper. Yes. Come say hi to the people, Abby, while, while you're here. Hello. Hi, there's, there's some paper. <laughs> She's cute. Okay. Um, the virgin birth, yes. Why does the virgin, okay. Uh, so this is story. If you want to take it literally, that's great. If you don't want to take it literally, uh, Melanie, I might be able to help you understand why this is uh, still cool to think of if you want to think of it as a metaphor, a, metaf a metaphorical story or uh, a myth. You might, some might call it a myth or a legend. Why, why would this story matter being told in this way? to this particular couple. 
in the ancient world, there were other virgin births too. And they were primarily seen as um, people like uh, Augustus, uh, important major figures uh, who were seen as children of the gods. Uh, and they would tell mythical stories about their births. Uh, and so you might see the story of the virgin birth of Jesus through Mary in the same light, only radically different. Why? Because this child of God is not about the way that Augustus Caesar, Julius Caesar, or any of the other stories, uh, leaders of the ancient world. It's not like that. This is radically different. So as they're telling this story, and if you want to take it literally again, that's great. If you want to take it in this different way, you might you might take it on. But they're telling this story uh, to say, you know, all of those other people who claim to be born of uh, virgin birth from the gods, don't pay attention to them. Why? Because they're about more violence and uh, and oppression in the world. Look to this person. We're going to tell this person who is who is a son of God, but radically different than all of the sons of the gods that you have ever imagined. Why? Because he's not about violence and oppression. He's about love. And Mary's important in this story, crucially important in this story, because we don't hear much about Joseph after Jesus' birth. Did he die? We don't know. Maybe. But he's not as important as Mary. Why does Mary continue to be important? Uh, because Jesus learns a lot of this from Mary. Read Mary's Magnificat where she says uh, all of these subversive political things, including that God has brought down the powerful and lifted up the lowly. God feeds the poor, the hungry in Mary's Magnificat. This Jesus lives this out. Mary hears these stories from her past where, as we've been talking about, God sides with those who are on the margins. And she sings about it when she finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And Mary is important because in some way, in, in very real ways, she's going to be teaching Jesus this story. She's going to be living it out and at some point teaching Jesus about this God too. Mary sings it right after she's born uh, and teaches Jesus about it. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, thank you, Casey. Yes, I'm willing to be challenged and discussed. It's it's a fun, fun way to do it, so. Um, Okay, let's see. Uh, we may be coming to an end. Yeah, okay. Uh, I love reading your guys' conversations. Okay. Um, uh, aliens. You uh, could think it's not human-centered. No rules for other creations. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not human-centric because as... Uh, uh, all as this as the psalmist says, all of creation sings the glory of God. Uh, the the 
the end point in the book of Revelation is heaven and earth uh, coming together, incarnated, just like in Jesus, all of earth, all of heaven, uh, the reality that Jesus lives into invites us to and invites us to live into is we can do that now um, by getting caught up in the life of of God, which is which is what this is this is all about. Uh, so um, anyway, friends, I hope this is I hope this is making sense. <laughs> But thank you for being here on this last episode of One Question with Pastor Adam. We'll have uh, more episodes in the year 2021. And um, uh, aliens, yes. Uh, if there are aliens, they are included in this too. So uh, I, I'm, I'm totally open to there being aliens and getting caught up in the life of God. Um, this is cosmic. So, okay. Um, we'll do more. Uh Yes, dogs too, Melanie. Dogs too. Uh, yes, all of creation. All of this is for, this is cosmic. Dogs are, in, of course, dogs are included. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, so everybody, thank you for being here. We're going to do more questions in the new year. And um, until then, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and uh, God be with you. Take care. <laughs>